Welcome to Roundhill Radio. Through our conversations, we discover the holy and the ordinary, look for moments of grace and peace, and redefine what we talk about when we talk about faith. Good morning, Ed. Good morning, Leslie. How you doing? So far, so good. How about you? I'm good. All right. I'm good. Um, so I'm a quarter of the way <laughs> through, through our book. I'm holding it up. Kitchen Table Wisdom. Well done. Thank you. By Rachel, Ray- Rachel Naomi Remen. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm enjoying it so much. Good. I'm just a late start on it. That's all right. Is what's happened. So we are kind of in the middle of our book club situation mm-hmm. with this book. Um, you had an in-person gathering yesterday. Mm-hmm. And then for all of our listeners, if you were listening to this, the day the podcast comes out, there is actually a Zoom Book club, book club conversation this evening at seven Eastern. Mm-hmm. Uh, the link for that is on the uh, website roundhoradio.org. org, mm-hmm. so you can find it there. We hope you'll join us yeah. if you have read it or if you haven't read it. You'll want to read it, I'm sure, after the conversation. But we'll discuss a little bit here. And grab yourself a copy <laughs> and and settle in. Uh, you were telling me about this last week, and I think the really interesting thing is that they're like they're little, they're very little chapters. They are, and that's one of the great, the nice features of the book is it's accessible. Yeah, and its accessibility, I think, is important because it's a challenging book in one sense, and mm-hmm. that it's about disease. It's largely yeah. about cancer. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's about a woman, a physician, uh, Rachel Naomi Remen, who has spent most of her adult life, I would say, either as a practicing physician mm-hmm. uh, or working with patients and with physicians mm-hmm. on broadening their understanding of what it means to be healed. Yeah. And I think that's in large part the theme of the book. But as you say, because of these shorter chapters, it makes it feel like it's... It's reachable. It's very, yeah, it's very accessible. You don't have to kind of, you know, slog through anything. Right. <laughs> you know? That's exactly right. Like she gets, she really has well-formed thoughts and stories mm. in the way that she she express, uh, expresses herself. I have to read, um, if I may, just the, like the first sentence. I loved it. I kept, the problem was uh, I would be further along, but I kept getting distracted and having to stop and make like, graphics of all the quotes i love oh yeah um it's, and it's a, a very quotable book yes which is a problem when you're me because i was like oh i gotta write this down <laughs> oh i gotta share this with our people so they'll know okay we find the first page here we go. so i love this coherent elegant mysterious aesthetic when i first earned my degree in medicine i would not have described life in this way mm. but i was not on in- intimate terms with life then I had not seen the power of life force in everyone, met the will to live in all its varied and subtle forms, recognized the irrepressible love of life buried in the heart of every little living thing. Mm. So good. So that means, now don't you want to read it? (laughs) (laughs) It's an enticing introduction. It's, it's I mean, she gets you right from the start. Yeah. She really does. So um, what drew you to this book? Well, actually, I had been, I had received this book uh, as a gift about 24 years ago. <laughs> How's that? That's good. And uh, it had, you know, been sitting on my shelf for a long time. I actually probably had read, uh, you know, individual chapters because, as you say, you, you can actually dip into this book without having to read it from beginning to end. Yeah. It, 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 will, it will work that way. Um, but it had been given to me by a woman in my congregation who actually was an oncologist. Mm. So it was part of her practice and part of her, you know, experience of being a practitioner. 
And so I don't know what it was, but this happens from time to time where a book seems to call out from the shelves. Hmm. And I thought to myself, where is my book, Kitchen Table Wisdom? <laughs> and I went looking for it yeah. and I found it, Yeah. started reading it. And then I thought, this is the one, this yeah. is what we have to do. And I guess I would say just also by way of introduction, this is very much a book about Rachel Naomi Remen yeah. and her journey because she also... Uh, has dealt with a chronic illness from the time of early adulthood. I would say even probably first diagnosed as an adolescent. And she's lived with a particular disease um, for the entirety of her life mm -hmm. and find a, found a way to manage that and understand it. And, and because of that, she's brought such sensitivity to people around her. Absolutely. I was struck by how contemporary this feels mm -hmm. and how, you know, this is the, the copy I have is like a special 10th anniversary edition, which obviously isn't that long ago, but it felt like I was reading the words of someone in their forties, mm. the way she expresses herself, the way she storytells, the way she's talking about medicine. I feel like it could have been written mm -hmm. today. Mm -hmm. You know, it feels so, so current yep. to everything we're talking about in terms of medicine and talking about healing and talking about the body and the wholeness of spirit and life and re that mystery, mm -hmm. you know, mm -hmm. um, it, I was, I was, when she said, when she said, when I was born in 1938, I said to stop <laughs> and I was like, wait, <laughs> what? <laughs> yep. Hold the phone. Let me reread that again. <laughs> Not the other way around. No, yep. it, no, nineteen. Okay, get it. Yes. Um, and I just found her. You know the way she expresses herself, just really fabulous. Really, yeah. really fabulous. I have to say, I was so so touched by a friend of ours, Becky. Becky walks up to me and she hands me this little slip of paper, and on the paper it says, "Consecrating the ordinary." Mm. And I said, I was like, what is what? What's that? Because it was, you know, not like 8.30 before choir rehearsal. <laughs> she hands me this. She goes, this is a chapter in the book. It's like it was written for you. Oh, She's like, you guys talk about this all the time. And I have never been more touched in my life because, A, yes, we do talk about this all the time. Yep. The holy and the ordinary. The holy and the ordinary. <laughs> and also, that's the phrase in our intro that I kind of... I used to really feel kind of, I, I don't notice it anymore. Mm. I've been really focused on the redefining how we talk about faith part of mm -hmm. the intro of sort of our, what I call our thesis statement um, that I, I'll admit I a little bit forgot about the holy and the ordinary. And I just am so, so deeply moved that she was like, you guys have been talking about this. <laughs> and I was like, well, that just made everything worth it. Right. Like, you know, I was just like, we, we, we touched that person. Oh my gosh. Oh my gosh. It's all worth it. And so it's a beautiful chapter about um, uh, Teresa of Avila and how she began to see the face of God in the folded sheets. Right. And finding the holy and the ordinary. And I was so, so deeply touched that she was reading a book she enjoyed and she found a connection to our humble podcast. Right. Well, I think that's one of the great gifts of Rachel Naomi Remen, and part of what she's trying to bring to the medical establishment is mm -hmm. don't miss the ordinary things. Mm -hmm. And she's uh, she says something that's, I would say one of the themes of the book is the way that um, medical tra training for doctors mm -hmm. 
can actually be very disabling in some senses. Sure. It's very, you know, it's, it's extraordinary in many respects, but she says it also can serve to distance people from themselves, their mm -hmm. instincts, their intuition, sometimes their potential for making a real emotional connection with their patients. Mm -hmm. And there are reasons why they're told, you know, during medical training not to make those connections. Right. But uh, she tells a, a beautiful story in this book of a time when she happened to witness another physician walking through uh, the neonatal unit and where a lot of babies were. And uh, this one doctor bent down and kissed one of the babies. This was late, late at night. And she went to him and said, you know, I just have to tell you how touched I was when I saw that. And he said, I didn't do that. And he, <laughs> and he completely denied it. Yeah. And um, they, they were never able to talk of it again. Oh. And so here's a moment where he was really allowing himself to make a connection in a very personal way. Yeah. And she just wanted to affirm that. But I think he was concerned that it might be found out there would be some you know, issue over it. Yeah. And so maybe never did it again. Aww. And that's, that's definitely a sub theme that runs right through the book is physicians trying to be connected trying to allow themselves to be vulnerable, yet every bit of training and sometimes mm -hmm. uh, their, you know, just their experience over the years sort of mitigates against that. Yeah. So she, that's why actually at a key juncture in her life, she stepped away from her practice and decided that she was going to kind of work somewhat outside the system in order to help doctors to become more of which she felt they could bring. And back to your the quote that starts the book, she just believes in this irrepressible life force mm -hmm. in everyone. Mm -hmm. And she's trying to help people connect that patients and doctors and yeah. so. I, I know, I feel like we all probably have had a various experience with a doctor where it feels like you're talking, not necessarily talking to a human, yeah. right? There isn't a hum, human element. Um, I've talked about it on the podcast before, especially in, with Shannon on our sort of our motherhood episodes. Mm -hmm. But talking about how my experience of of having a baby was um, first with a OB, and then I switched to a midwife practice, and I was so struck by how ordinary mm. the midwives made the whole thing feel, and I mean that in the best way possible mm -hmm. because as a first time mom it felt mm. deeply frightening sure mm -hmm. and they brought this thing of like this happens every day mm. this is not an emergency situation <laughs> it can be but in most of the time mm -hmm. you know in this situation it wasn't and so it was deeply ordinary it was also they also made it feel deeply sacred mm -hmm. but it also felt so normal mm. and i felt i that was the most comforting thing mm -hmm. that they could have brought and it was unspoken completely mm -hmm. unspoken mm -hmm. and it was just this like yeah it's fine mm. you know and my ob had been like this like whoa, 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 like kind of crazy energy <laughs> she like run in do a thing she like like gus was at one of the uh appointments he was able to come and she acted like she'd met him before but she never had she's like hey great to see you again and he's like hi i'm gus it was just so it was so cringe so but like it was just the way they just like truly were free to mm. completely care about me care about gus care about you know everything that was going on and it just felt so it was fabulous it was yeah. absolutely fabulous so i think that for me that was my entry point that was my connection point to her was finding that mystery that ordinary 
um, awe mm-hmm. in mm-hmm. it. Um, that I really connected with that part mm. of of her storytelling. Yeah, um, and that there is, you know, for all our incredible science and all of our incredible uh, progress we've made through life, that there is still mystery and there is still mm-hmm. life force, as she mm-hmm. as she calls it. Um, and then she also talks about some other things, which I thought were really, were really interesting. Um, I have, I have dog-eared in the book. <laughs> Shockingly enough, if you know me well, it's a whole, it's a whole thing about, um, uh, it's, it's about people pleasing. We'll just say that. Um, and she, I made a quote of this. So if you guys are, follow our Instagram, which I hope you will. Um, she says, you know, it's talking about how we sometimes hide parts of ourselves to sort of fit into society. She talks about like, you know, big boys don't cry and ladies never disagree with anyone. We learn to avoid judgment by disowning our feelings and our perspectives. We make ourselves less whole. She's, she goes on to say, it is only human to trade wholeness for approval. Yet parts we disown are not lost. They are just forgotten. Hmm. We can remember our wholeness at any time. In hiding it, we have kept it safe. Mm. And yeah. I find, I have to say that again. We can remember our wholeness at any time. In hiding it, we have kept it safe. Mm-hmm. And I love that so much because it's not this disconnecting from our wholeness. Mm-hmm. It's just like we tucked it away. Right. In our little heart safes. Yep. You know, and protected it mm-hmm. um, rather than left it behind. Right. And I love that imagery as a, as a way to, we just kind of go, Open the door. Yep, it's there. It's there. You know, one of the things that she says about uh, physicians is how incredibly proficient and competent, you know, physicians can be. Absolutely. Just extraordinarily so and so gifted. And, um, but having said that, she, I think, also made it her mission in life to help even those extraordinarily accomplished physicians to just push a little bit more Mm. into that part of themselves so that they too could discover actually a wider range of their own humanity in their practice. Mm. And she describes an interaction uh, at a workshop where one of the physicians who was, by the way, regarded by everyone in the room as just kind of at the pinnacle of her profession Mm. and almost kind of intimidating in some ways for these other physicians. And yet during the, uh, the workshop, that one of the physicians there actually had been diagnosed with cancer, I believe. And she, um, she placed her hand on his chest, which is typically something she would not have done in her practice, but mm-hmm. it was part of this workshop. And he just, this person said, what an extraordinary presence you have. And she began to, to weep at that because she said, this is a part of myself I really haven't allowed out. Mm-hmm. Now she was an ex- amazing physician. And yet she also found there was even something else that she could bring. Mm -hmm. And it was that part, I think, that had kind of been locked up Mm -hmm. inside of her. And that's the mystery, you know, Mm -hmm. or that's at least one of the mysteries that Rachel Naomi Remen talks about. And I love the fact that she speaks to that because mystery is so fundamental to faith, right? right? And that allowing that space for mystery is what keeps it, I think, fresh and keeps it an adventure, sort of keeps us looking and, and... um, that's what she wants to bring to the experience of healing. That healing often takes, uh, requires us to look outside of the accepted frameworks. Mm-hmm. And I know, you know, have known many people over the years who've been told by physicians, really, there's look, there's nothing more that we can do. Right. And there, there can be a truth to that. But what 
Rachel Naomi Remen discovered is sometimes the other things we can do is to look, one of the other things, is to look more broadly at what healing can mean. Mm -hmm. Maybe it's not going to mean cure, but it can mean something else. What is that? And that's, she wanted to be able to be available to explore that mm -hmm. with doctors and with patients. And so she sort of gave her life over to that. It's so it's so fascinating. It actually made me think of a story I'd completely forgotten. Um, I don't think I've ever told this story before, but I was, um, when I was living in Cleveland, I, there was a woman in my choir and I, I forget what faith tradition she was from, and I don't want to mis, misrepresent it, um, but she was practiced in, in Reiki healing, mm -hmm. which I had never heard of, experienced at all. Mm -hmm. And um, we were getting ready for like some big concert, and I had the worst stomach ache, like mm. the worst. <laughs> and she was up, she's like, would you could I try to help? And I was like, okay. You know, I'm like, like 20 at the time, you know, like a snarky 20 year old. You can imagine. And I was like, I mean, sure. She was a sweet little lady. I mean, she was so sweet. I was like, oh, sure. And she like did a thing with her hands. I put her hands on my, my tummy. And I was like, okay, what? sure. And then it, I don't, I felt better. I felt mm. totally better. And I, a healthcare practitioner. I, I mean, I, I, in her own way. I had I had zero belief in whatever was happening. I had was just along for the ride at that point. And it was it helped. And I was just like, well, I have learned something here today. Because <laughs> 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 I tried all, you know, all the Pepto, all the whatever. And she just she she helped my stomach so much. And obviously it was just a stomach ache. It was something mild. But like what mm -hmm. a powerful mm -hmm. lesson of mystery, you know, of and I was I'm still to this day like, what was that? <laughs> Life force. Incredible. Incredible. So incredible. Yeah. yeah. I think what Reiki practitioners would say, one person's life force affecting another person's life force, yeah. you know, moving it in a healthier direction. Um, I think I found awe that day. Mm, mm -hmm. You know, there's a great story she tells, uh, Rachel Naomi Remen in the book about, about awe. Mm. Um, she has, uh, she moved out to California. She grew up in Manhattan. She talks a lot about the differences between living in Manhattan and living in California. She, apparently she has this, um, beautiful backyard in her home in California and she wanted to grow roses. Mm. And, uh, she discovered one day that this beautiful stag showed up in her backyard. Oh my gosh. Of course, he also was aware that the roses were there <laughs> and they were a delicacy from his perspective. Ooh, so snack. <clears throat> different kind of beauty. <laughs> and so uh, she went out one time and just, you know, all the roses were gone. And she finally said, you know, she had to make a decision because she could have kept the roses going by creating this amazing high fence mm -hmm. around her property. Or she said, I could live with the, what the stag was doing. Right. And what happened, she said, I chose, to, I chose the stag. And he eventually got closer and closer. I think she says in the book that um, at one point he, was, he would eat within 10 feet of her. Wow. And so she, she chose awe to be in the presence of this beautiful mm -hmm. wild animal mm -hmm. rather than to have the you know, perfectly presentable roses. <laughs> You know, which yeah. were beautiful. Yeah. But it was interesting, though, that she said in a way she had to make that choice. And sometimes we do have to make a choice for the thing that is awe-inspiring and to let something else go, which may also be beautiful in its own right. Yeah, I can appreciate it. I feel like a lot of uh, uh, Northeasterners 
can appreciate the hosta deer mm. battle. Oh my goodness! Or yes. deer candy. Yeah, <laughs> as they call it. <laughs> exactly. Um, our new house had this big um, black chain link fence that the former owner had put up. Yes, they had like these big dogs, and we have a dog, but our dog. Um, <laughs> Let's put it this way. You put her outside to like, here, go use the lawn as a toilet. And she'll kind of go do her thing. And then she'll come right back to the door. Like, what do you want me to? I, it's warm inside. Like what? <laughs> Why am I out here? <laughs> There's blankets and pillows. Why would I be out here? <laughs> like she's zero interest <laughs> in being outside. Um, which I, I mean, same. So we took the fence out, but we had to have this whole conversation of like, well, the dog won't be able to go, but like, not, that's not that big of a deal. But then also like the deer mm. are going to come and eat all like the their things. presence known. Yeah. Which has turned out to be glorious because we have these, uh, we have cameras around the house that point out. And so we just sit there and it's like, and then they have infrared. So at night we get these motion alerts on our phones. And so we just sit there watching the deer like, there's like 10 of them running around. It's pretty cool. Having fun. It's pretty cool. And we went, you know. See, you chose awe. We chose awe. The hostas are non-existent now. Yeah. But yep. you know what? Eh. Yeah. Eh. Well, I think that's what back. she discovered, right? You know, there's <laughs> what, what's the real thing here? Mm-hmm. What matters most? <laughs> right? The deer is what we're learning. That's what matters most. Our beautiful animals. <laughs> it's so nice to feel connected to nature like that, though, too, you know. Mm. Mm-hmm. Like, well, I took your home, so at least have a snack. You know, uh, when you mentioned nature, one of the things that I thought uh, that I'd never thought about in my life for all the time I've been in hospitals, mm-hmm. Rachel Naomi Remen um, mentions the fact that somebody, I guess it, it might have been her or some she knew, uh, tried to bring plants into their office in the hospital and ah. they just kept dying. Oh, no. And she thought, this isn't, what is this saying about hmm. <laughs> this environment? And so actually, I think there was a colleague who started to bring in plants and really worked at and eventually got them to flourish. Oh my gosh. But it was a good reminder when you talk about nature, right? That nature is such a powerful healing force for people. Mm-hmm. And, you know, we've, many of us have probably been in a lot of different hospitals in different places and they do tend to all kind of feel the same and sometimes even look the same and smell the oh, same. The smell, man. And uh, it's not it's not always that environment that feels like it's warm and conducive. You know, people usually say, I just can't wait to get home from the hospital so right. I can sleep and rest and heal. Yeah. And so it was an interesting point, though, that, you know, how do we how can we create better spaces in yeah. order to, again, bring out that the fullness of who we are? And I'm so glad for that conversation because when we were going through the um, like our birthing class, the the person leading it was saying, you know, think about notice your reaction as we talk about these various things. Because mm-hmm. for a, for some people, a hospital is deeply safe feeling. Mm-hmm. You're in great hands. Sure, there's lots of expertise. Somebody's there twenty four seven. Absolutely, mm-hmm. and for some people, that is a very safe space. And I sure. respect that so much. When we were talking about it. My whole body went, which <laughs> 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 not, is not a great, not uh-huh. right. and noticing that reaction in myself, you know, then we started asking questions and thinking about, you know, how we wanted that to go. And so I thought that was very interesting thinking about my own, you know, that, that your reaction and what your body does when it's feeling safe and when it's feeling less safe is also part of healing is also mm. part of 
whatever medical thing is going on can also be a big a big part of it. And mm-hmm. I feel like there's a lot of potential for hospitals to really, as they think about that, they can. There's a lot of room there for for improvement. Um, to bring those two elements together, I think would be very exciting to see. Well, I want to give a, a shout out. You know, I think even even when you walk into the entrance of Greenwich Hospital, it it feels like a different environment. You know, there's a piano playing there, uh-huh. and you know, it's a it's a different feel. And I would give a shout out to the Connecticut Children's Hospital when my daughter had to have surgery. They've organized the physical space there to be extremely child friendly. Oh, wonderful! And I'm sure there are many other hospitals that would be able to say the same. Those are just the ones in my experience. But I remember walking into the Connecticut Children's Hospital for the first time and thinking, "Wow, this is a cool place!" Nice. And look at how they have designed this and created it. Really looking at it from the perspective of children and how mm-hmm. scary a hospital environment might be for a child. Right. And they really, really worked at it. I thought it was uh, just amazing what wow. they've done. Yeah. That's exciting. I think Rachel Naomi Remen would give them a big thumbs up. To Yay. Say, you know, here's a space that they've worked hard to create for for the soul, you know, mm-hmm. for the for that part of us that needs healing that's not easy to count. Um, yeah, she'd really like that. Connecting with the life force. Yep, indeed. That's so nice. Indeed. So if you want to talk more about the book, hear mm-hmm. more about the book, please, I would love to hear your thoughts about it. So you can either comment on the video. You can join us uh, tonight if you're around, which is November 7th at 7 p.m. Eastern. We'd love to see you. The Zoom link is both on roundhillradio.org and on Roundhill Community Church.org. It's all over the place. Um, I even put it, I think I put it on last week's YouTube video mm. too. It's I'm putting it everywhere I can because I want it just to be so easy for you guys to join us. Because we would love to see you there on Zoom, chat about the book. Is it about an hour? About long? an hour. About mm-hmm. an hour. Yep. Hour or less. Hour or less. So sit at your kitchen table and join us mm-hmm. for some kitchen table wisdom. You bet. So thank you so much for joining us today. Roundhill Radio is brought to you by the friends and members of Roundhill Community Church. For more information, please visit roundhillradio.org. <laughs>